Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Hello, everybody. My name is Stevie Kim, and this is the Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. Ciao, Stevie. Hey, Anna. How are you? Great. Great. And Laika. Ciao, Laika. Ciao, Stevie. All right. So we have a small um, audience today, but as you know, this will be replayed on Italian Wine Podcast, and we have we have been getting huge listens for the Ambassadors Corner. Today's Ambassadors Corner is the fireside chat with Alessandro Medici, baby Medici. All righty. So today, let me tell you a little bit about the Ambassadors Corner. This is where our Italian wine ambassadors get to choose their favorite wine producer and they do a deep dive interview, more like a fireside chat with their favorite Italian wine producer. And today we have with us Anna, and let me see if I can say this correctly, Anna Obuhovskaya. Is that correct? Yes, Stevie, that's that's correct. Can you say it? Can you say your name? Anna Obuhovskaya. Yeah, well, it's a little bit different. Obuhovskaya. So right. Anna is based in um, St. Petersburg, and she has about 13 years of experience in wine marketing and sales. I understand she's worked at Luding, Nesco, Joya, Metro, Cash and Carry, and she was actually the best caviste in 2011. She has this title. Of course, she is here with us today because she is our Vinatilly International Academy. She had participated in that um, last year, the flagship edition, and her current project includes um, holding seminars for the uh, St. Petersburg Sommelier Association, specialized in Italian wine and Italian wine tasting club. And she's the founder, so clearly she loves um, Italian wine, and um, she is now uh, going to interview Alessandro Medici this evening. So, Anna, why did you choose Alessandro Medici as your favorite producer? Well, Stevie, when I studied at uh, Italian Wine Ambassador course in Verona in uh, 2021, I learned uh, a lot about Lambrusco and that it is the oldest uh, family of grape varieties in Italy. Uh, there is a DNA study that showed that a close connection between Lambrusco grape variety and wild vine. And uh, Lambrusco was once uh, domesticated by tribes that lived in uh, the territory of modern Italy. But the fact that this grape is still there for quality wines in Emilia-Romagna really amazed me. Uh, we can observe uh, the transformation um, of the Lambrusco style within past decades, and Medici family is a good example for that, because five generations uh, produced wine. Style of Lambrusco changed uh, from rustic wines in the 50s to the trendy and really high-quality Lambruscos of today. And Concerto Lambrusco that uh, Medici Armeto makes uh, is released uh, in, to, in, thir- in 1993, and it's considered the first Lambrusco from a single wine yard. Can you imagine that? Uh, so, and it's made uh, from Lambrusco Salamino. And uh, it was really the turning point for the uh, Medici family uh, because Concerto is valued by wine critics and it is for sure one of my favorite Italian wines. Uh, and it's really a good example of a friendly wine, very bright and fruity, but at the same time complex and well-balanced. So for me, Medici Armeta is a good company that in in avant-garde of Lambrusco production today. Oh my God, I feel like you're part of the Medici family already. 
you're so enthusiastic. <laughs> Nobody gets that excited about, you know, anything. But listen, Anna, so how did, how did you meet? How did you discover the Americe uh, Almete wine and winery and the family? Well, I first uh, tried uh, Concerto Lambrusca at the seminar that uh, uh, Via held in uh, Verona. Also, that was your first time? Yes, yes. Oh, that's so exciting. So we introduced you to uh, uh, Medici Almete. That's right. And that's where I met uh, Alessandro because he came for the seminar to speak on Lambrusco. And before that, I only read about this family grape and uh, the differences between uh, Grasparosa and Salamino and Sorbara and so on. But the first time I actually tried these different Lambruscos was Verona. So, uh, and uh, we tasted Concerto, and I was amazed by the quality of this Lambrusco, of this fresh, fruity style, lively character, smooth tannins, and great balance. I put a three exclamation mark in my tasting notes that day, and Alessandro was very passionate about his region and his wines and uh, his family history. So to my point, he's the best ambassador for his uh, family estate. And later that year, in September, I had a chance to visit Medici Hermeto Winery and walk in the wine yard where concerto is made. Uh, I made the generous and hospitable Medici family members. We sat on a beautiful uh, terrace and tasted various wines they made accompanied with this beautiful prosciutto, parmigiano, reggiano cheese, homemade spinach pie. Uh, and that tasting had really big impact on me because I realized that Lambrusco is not just uh, a g- nice wine, but it's greatly matched with local food uh, and was actually good with nearly any food you could think of. Antipasti, pizza, pasta, lasagna, other traditional Italian dishes, but also it goes very well with Thai and Indian food. And I also realized that it should be great in restaurants menus back home in St. Petersburg. But unfortunately, I saw very few Lambruscos in restaurants lists, in wine lists uh, back home recently. So uh, sommeliers in general didn't consider Lambrusco to be an interesting wine category. So when I came back home, I had this sharp feeling that I have to share something very important with my with other sommeliers. Uh, so in our wine community, we know very little about uh, quality Lambruscos and uh, its interesting historical case. So therefore, I organized a seminar for uh, St. Petersburg Sommelier Association on Lambrusco wines, and I invited Alessandro to join us via Zoom. I also invited Alberto, Alberto Paltineri from Modena, and he spoke about his wines as well. We tasted all high-quality Lambruscos that imported to my country, so we compared styles of Modena and Reggio Emilia. We tasted wines uh, from Venturini, Baldini also. So shall I say that sommeliers were really surprised by the quality of wide range of Lombrusco? Yes, they were. <laughs> I was really happy to share that uh, great experience with them. Okay, excellent. It sounds very um, promising for a career in Lombrusco. Um, so you, <laughs> as you know, you know, we always talk about learning objectives because we do try to give some educational value in in the calls that we make um, for Italian Wine Club. What are the learning objectives that we should expect from you today? Well, uh, as I see it, uh, there are there is a very curious case about Lambrusco wines. On one hand, there is historical context, DNA researches uh, that provide us with historical perspective on autochthonous varieties and we are rethinking the significance for winemaking. But on the other hand, there are modern trends. Sparkling wines are highly demanded, you know. So today, winemakers return to grandfather's methods and upgrade them. So there is no insignificant variety, but it's all about the approach to it. Not everybody knows that Lambrusco wines, all three 
for full Ambrusco wines, all three methods are used, Ancestral, Charmat, and Metodo Classico. And I hope we discuss it today, and I think it is important to learn where traditions meet the new wave of winemaking. Excellent. So these are the objectives. So we're looking forward to that. Before I hand over the mic to you, um, Laika, did you want to say anything? Laika, by the way, as you know, uh, she's our clubhouse manager for Italian Wine Club. Laika, are you back in? Yeah, hello. hello. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I'm still having this Abioka moment because we really had a huge lunch this afternoon. <laughs> it was really good. Um, and um, I wanted to say something first. Um, if you are interested, especially for the Italian wine ambassadors, um, to moderate for um, um, the Italian wine um, ambassador's corner um you can send me an email or send me a message here um at support at italianwinepodcast.com so yep that's it yeah that's it that's there she's like us speaking to you to shaw carrie Wong, exactly fanny you did once of course jody as well jody one of the more popular um replays on Italian Wine Podcast. Congratulations um, to you on that. So if you'd like to host another room, please get in touch with Laika and also info at italianwinepodcast.com. Okay, I'm going to shut up now. So over to you, Anna, and then you can introduce Alessandro. I'll be listening. Great. So please uh, let me welcome Alessandro Medici. Uh, oh. Ciao. It was great to see you at Venitaly. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for this invitation. Wonderful opportunity. Yes, I think uh, your case is really interesting and Medici Ermete uh, is a really nice producer. So please uh, tell me, how did your story of a, of a wine producer start? Yeah, absolutely. So let me just thank Stevie and the World Venitaly International team because what you said about your activity in uh, in St. Petersburg is just uh, um, an example of uh, how powerful is the VIA network, you know, the Vinital International Academy network. Uh, we got so many contacts with this, uh, with this academy, so this is absolutely beautiful. Anyway, to answer to your question, um, my story, like wine producer, started like many other producers that comes from, uh, uh, you know, family business. Uh, I was born in the vineyards. Uh, my family was used to uh, bring me in the vineyards, uh, in the office, in the cellar. My father uh, brought me with him uh, with in so many business travels, you know, in Japan, in United States. So I discovered this world very young during my studies, of course. Uh, then I did some uh, activities outside of Italy, uh, just like uh, exp- um personal experience and then I studied at Gastronomic University in Polenzo in Piedmont in the Barol and Barbaresco area and then I entered the officially with a contract uh, in the winery almost five years ago uh, so it, it's just a normal story uh, my passion came very very early in me uh, for wine especially for my land I always loved Emilia Romagna I think that Lambrusco producer um, are really, really um, connected to to the Emilia-Romagna land. And then, you know, I, I did an interview last week and one sommelier asked me, uh, please uh, uh, give us some uh, um, wise advice. And I told I told her, I'm just 27. How can uh, I, I give some uh, wise advice? To be wise, you know, to do, you know, many mistakes and this is just what i'm doing i'm doing many mistakes in the company with our teams we, we do so many different projects we make many mistakes sometimes they go well sometimes they go in a bad way but you know in this moment in our company in our winery there is an amazing atmosphere and i'm very happy to to uh, of my choice of course yes indeed um, you have a very nice atmosphere among among your family and among people who work for you so that's for sure. And um, can you please uh, tell us how uh, the style of Medici uh, wines, Medici Hermeto wines changed within decades and why it has changed? Of course. Yeah, Medici Hermeto is one of the most historical winery in the Emilia-Romagna region. This is uh, a sentence that I heard so many times from producers uh, from Italy, uh, but it's true. And we saw the history of Lambrusco. 
that is, I think, a beautiful story because it's really connected to the to the story of the Italian wine. Because, as you probably know, Lambrusco is uh, was one of the first Italian variety to be exported together with Chianti and Soave. It was around 1965, and Medici at the time already exported uh, in Germany and uh, and the United States. And Lambrusco had an unbelievable, an unbelievable commercial success between uh, 1970 and 1980, even more than Prosecco today. And, you know, the style, the original style of uh, uh, production of Lambrusco was dry, as you said previously. Uh, and the method of production is uh, a method that today we call ancestral method. But at the time, um, it was the real, the, the only, the unique method of production of Lambrusco. So with this second fermentation in the bottle, and at the end of this fermentation, we sold the wine with the yeast inside and the wine was completely, completely dry. So with zero grams of liter of sugar. Then Lambrusco represented an unbelievable commercial success uh, for our land. Uh, I said even more than Prosecco today because Lambrusco producers between 1970 and 19, not 1975 and 1985 sold millions of cases, not bottles, I mean cases. Million and million and million of cases. Lambrusco was everywhere, was the most famous wine, Italian wine, of course, outside of Italy. It was everywhere. Also advertising on television. It was very, very popular. And at the beginning, Lambrusco was considered cool. It was, you know, the, the, the sparkling Italian wine uh, because Prosecco was just a very local wine. Franciacorta didn't exist. So there was just Lambrusco. And it was considered cool. Then, you know, um, between 1970 and 1980, we started in Emilia-Romagna, but also in other regions in Italy, we started to produce with the Sharma method, so with the steel tank. So we started to change the way of production. And unfortunately, some Lambrusco producers invented the sweet Lambrusco, uh, the Lambrusco Amabile, it was called, with a high level of sugar. I mean, very, very high at the time level of sugar. And that product, that wine, was just a commercial invention that had an unbelievable success, but it was very different from the real Lambrusco. And then, you know, um, the palate of the consumers started to, to understand that uh, that Lambrusco was very bad. The quality of that Lambrusco was very bad. So they started to recognize that that Lambrusco was very bad. So the Lambrusco market from million and million of cases in few years becomes zero. Even uh, the restaurants in our area, the restaurant that was in front of our winery, our office, didn't want write a Lambrusco in the menu because it was considered a shame. And my father, the third generation, entered in the winery exactly in that period. It was the period of the sweet Lambrusco. So he understood that it was necessary to change completely the philosophy of production of this wine. And he started, he restarted coming back to the origin to make dry Lambrusco with a low level of sugar. And in 1993, that for us is a very important vintage, we started to make our concerto, that in English means concert, that is the, uh, the name of our flagship wine, our flagship Lambrusco, that uh, for us represents everything. It represents a pioneer of the, of the Lambrusco Renaissance. Because from that moment, we started to, I say we, but I didn't do anything because I wasn't born. I was born in 1984, but we, our family and our team started to travel all around the world to explain to the world that the real Lambrusco was dry, not sweet. And nowadays we export um, in more than 70, 70 countries around the world. Uh, we make Lambrusco with the three methods of production of Lambrusco, as you said, Sharma method, ancestral method, that, that is uh, also called Pednat method, and with the Champenoise method, that, that is the, maybe the most elegant method to make uh, a sparkling wine, the same method of production of Franciacorta and Trento Doc, but with Lambrusco grape. Yes, that, well, that's very interesting. Could you say a few words about your baby, about uh, Fermento uh, Lambrusco, which is very new uh, to, the, uh, to, to the Lambrusco Medici Hermeto producers? Can you say a few words how you came up with this idea and how it's made? Yes, of course. Actually, what I, what I told until now is not made by me. I didn't do anything of what I just told you. Um, the first project that I did in the company it was the first year when I entered in the winery, but I started to think this project at the university. 
Uh, it's a wine called Fermento. Um, that is uh, Alambrusco, made with the Sorbara variety. Maybe later we are going to explain the differences between the varieties of Lambrusco because Lambrusco is not a bad word. Lambrusco is not the name of a uh, brand. It's not a style of production. Lambrusco is the name of a grape. And uh, Lambrusco grape is a family of different biotypes, a family of different varieties. One of these varieties is called Sorbara. It is maybe the most elegant variety of Sorbara with an unbelievable acidity. The acidity of Sorbara is every year the same of the acidity, the same pH of the Champagne area. And we started, I started to make a wine with the Sorbara grape using the ancestral method. You know, before I told you that between 1970 and 1980, we started to make wine with the, with the steel tank because it was easier, uh, you could have the technology, you could control the temperature. But before the arrival of the steel tank, the way, the common way to make Lambrusco in our area was the ancestral method. So we did a second fermentation in the bottle, like for the Champagne-Oise method, like for the Champagne method. But at the end of the fermentation, we didn't make any degorjaman. We didn't remove the yeast outside of the bottle. We left the yeast inside of the bottle. So we sold the wine that was a little bit uh, uh, cloudy, let me say. Then, between 1970 and 1980, we decided to stop making this method. Why? Because at the time, we didn't have the technology. So, sometimes we could sell, uh, let me say, a bomb to our lovely customers because we couldn't control perfectly the, the pressure inside of the bottle. Nowadays, we have the technology to make this process in the perfect way. And I wanted to come back to the origin, making a wine with the same method of my grand-grand-grandfather. So when I entered in the winery, I decided to do this. And I had to ask about this project to my grandfather. It's been very hard, like everything in a family business. But nowadays, Fermento is a beautiful commercial success. Every year, we increase the production uh, very slowly because it's still a very small production if we consider the numbers of our company. Um, but uh, we export that wine in more than, I would say, 17 countries. We're very happy with that. Great. Well, that sounds like a like a very good success of a very uh, modern and trendy wine. I tasted it myself, uh, and I I really enjoyed it. It's actually two way you can drink fermento. First, first way you don't mix it with a uh, with the yeast. You just uh, drink it as it is. And the second way, you uh, shake bottle a little bit and make yeast uh, mixed up with the wine. And that makes uh, body even more full, even more fruity. That's a really nice uh, trick you, you can make with wine, with this, with this very wine. So, Alessandro... Yes, exactly. You can choose. Uh, there is the roll way or the normal way. Uh, you work with uh, your family members. Can you please tell and share this experience? Uh, what is the most important thing when doing business with family members? <laughs> this is a nice question. Uh, uh, there is just one word, I think, is the organization. This is very important. You know, there are so many different um, wineries that had problems with the generational transitions, you know, between generation and, and another generation. You know, uh, one important rule that my father always uh, uh, told me is that your son or your daughter is not always an intelligent person, you know, and I could be not an intelligent person. So you have to plan this and you have to organize everything. So the first rule, I think, is to have external people from your family in important positions in the company. This is very important. Uh, people that don't know anything about the, the internal things of the family, they, they not, they, they're not involved in the family. Then every single member of the family, I think, um, have to have... Uh, a, a specific role in the winery and all the members of the family have to respect that role i think this is very important because we live in a period in which the one man show uh, no longer exists you know my grandfather is a one man show was a one man show he's still the president of the company he did uh, the agronomic part the knowledge the technological part the technical part the commercial the marketing part the communication the incoming he managed everything but that was i think the style uh, of managing a, a winery that was good 30 40 years ago 
Nowadays, we live in a period where everything has to be very well organized. And I think that uh, a winery nowadays is an ecosystem of different areas. And every area has to be managed by a specialist of that area. Because it's impossible to know everything, you know, from the agronomic part to the commercial or the communication. or There are so many different areas. And I think that a well-organized um, family business is also a happy family. Well, indeed, that's that's very important that every everybody in the family is happy. <laughs> so another another question about the family members: Who does what? Can you briefly describe? Yes, of course. My father is the uh, CEO of the company, Alberto Medici. Uh, then there is my grandfather that is still in the winery every day. Is the first person that arrive. Uh, a wonderful character. Uh, he's the president. Uh, then we have my cousin, Pierluigi Medici, that is very important. He's an export manager, an area manager. He has the South America that for us is uh, a growing area, very important for us. Uh, and then we have my aunt, Alessandra Medici, and she is the, um, the responsible, the, the hospitality manager, let me say. So she's involved in uh, um, all the hospitality programs. Uh, she's the responsible of our estate where we have many tourists during the year, of course before COVID, uh, but now it's restarting again. And then uh, she's the responsible of the wine shop. So, and then there is me. Uh, my title is the brand ambassador. Um, and I am the responsible of the education of the people around the world about Lambrusco, about our land. So I follow all the promotional activities of the winery. Wow, you doing you do it in a very good way. You you impressed me once, so that's how it all started. Uh, yes, and I met uh, uh, your aunt Alessandra. Uh, she did a great tour on Achitaya. Um, all these barrels uh, covered up. It was really fascinating to to see to learn more about this tradition of making um, aceto balsamico, Modena, in in. That's that's really fantastic. Uh, so uh, there, you know, I'm I'm looking at your bottles and they really look nice. Can you say a few words about who makes uh, wine labels, who works on design for for the bottles? Um, yes, this is um, this is a an important point of the of a winery. You know, um, before I told you that in the winery there are there are areas. And one of the areas is, of course, um, linked with the, the communication part. And labels are an important part of the communication. And as brand ambassador, um, I, I should follow uh, all the touch points uh, between the, the brand and the business and the consumers. And labels are an important touch point between the brand and the final consumers. Uh, but I entered in the winery just uh, four years and a half um, years ago. Uh, and our winery exists from more than 100 years. So when I entered in the winery, we had so many different wines. We have so many different lines. We have so many different concepts, wines. So it was hard to, to, and it was wrong, I think, to change all the labels in the winery. So my job and... Uh, uh, the, the team that follows this part in the company is to try to balance the, the, the past, respecting the past, our roots, but uh, bringing all these labels and all the new projects uh, at the present and in the future. You know, So we have an internal team that works uh, with many different agencies, uh, marketing agencies. All these agencies um, um, have uh, a different sensibility. They have a different... Uh, uh, creativity they have a different vision uh, and then we we work with them when we have to think a new project and uh, we we give uh, to the agency many feedbacks uh, of what we expect from the labels uh, from that wine uh, we tell them exactly what is inside of the that bottle we tell them the target of that bottle and then we start to build new projects so this is this is how uh, the label of fermento for example um, has been uh, has been created, but is always uh, you know is a compromise between the past, the present, and the future that we have to respect. We did many mistakes, as I said uh, in the first answer that I gave you, 
but we also, I think, we did um, some good labels. Uh, Alessandro, uh, there are some uh, questions for you coming in the chat, but let me uh, finish my uh, portions portion of questions, and uh, I will I, I will ask uh, you the questions. I will pass you these questions that um, our uh, clubhouse members ask you. All right. So, uh, you know, sus uh, my my next question is about uh, sustainability. Do you think that it's uh, what? What do you think of it on the first place, and how do you feel um, if if you are uh, doing any sustainable project, sustainability project for the for the winery? Thank you for this question. Um, let me say that in our family we have always had um, an ethical obligation. You know, I told you that I am the fifth generation, so five generation, long story. Uh, and we always wanted to leave um, a company and, and a territory in better conditions than we found them to the future generation. And this is basically could be translated in uh, to leave to our son and daughters uh, um, a better world. You know, we are not the world, of course, we are just one single reality. But for us, if every reality, every company, small, medium, big, every country, every families, every person could have the same philosophy. We really could have a big impact on the planet and we really could live to our son and to our daughters a better world. So everything starts from this concept. Uh, and before I told you that in, in our company, we have many areas that uh, have to take decisions and choices every day. But every choice that we have to take have to consider this concept about the sustainability nowadays. It's very important. And that's why we did an important project last year in 2021, a project called Generation 2031. So a project, a long-term project that became our commitment. A long-term project that lasts a decade between 2021 and 2031. A project that involves uh, uh, precise goals through concrete actions and the projects. And all these actions have to consider the three you know, thematic areas of sustainability. Everybody knows this. Environmental area, ethical, social area, and economic area. And I can give you now, um, Anna, some examples of the actions that we are doing. For example, talking about the environmental area, we became completely certified organic. All our estates, we have five estates, 80 hectares of vineyards are certified organic. And this is a support to the biodiversity of our land. We don't use any single use plastic in the company. Just a small example. We are calculating exactly our carbon and water footprint because we want to bring um, our carbon and water footprint close to zero in 10 years. Because in 10 years, we want to to transform our company in a completely sustainable company. Let me do other two examples, very easy. Uh, talking about the economical area, we are trying to, to do some practice um, concepts of circular economy. For example, during the, the vinification, we have many leaves, many sediments, many skins that we don't use, that we usually sell very cheap to the distilleries. You know, From last year, we started to do this, I think, beautiful project, working with a company in our region. This company gets all these sediments, all these skins, all these leaves that usually are considered waste. You know, They transform, they work with these uh, sediments, skins, and leaves, and they make organic compost. And we use this organic compost for our vineyards. So this is a perfect example of circular economy where a waste becomes an ingredient of your wine. This is very important, but we do so many actions that we already did, that we are doing, and that we will do in the next 10 years. And this for us, it's very, very important because as, as I just said, is that concept that I told you before is the base of all our choices. Wow, that's really impressive what you what you just say about sustainability project. 
Yes, for sure. It's very important to leave uh, land and wine yards for future generations and to make uh, to keep them fertile, to keep the soils fertile uh, for as long as possible. Well, it's very, very curious project that you're making. So um, just uh, let me continue with a few more questions and then I will, uh, we will go to the audience questions, okay? Um, since uh, you're talking about the future, uh, can you uh, share what's your vision on uh, Medici Meta Winery is in 10 years, for example? What do you hope it to be? What, what do you hope it to, where do you hope to see your wines in which countries and so on? <laughs> I have so many wishes, Anna. Uh, first of all, we have a slogan that is bringing Emilia Romagna, in Italian is much better, but the translation in English is bringing the Emilia Romagna to the world and bringing the world to the Emilia Romagna. Uh, look, in this slogan, there isn't the word Medicermete and there isn't the word Lambrusco. Uh, why? Because for us, Lambrusco and Medicermete represents uh, a land, a territory that is Emilia-Romagna. And what we want to do is to carry on with this mission to export our land, our wines around the world. Nowadays, we are in 70 countries, but we can do much better. We can add more countries. We can increase and improve our activity in the markets where we are already present. And then in the same time, another very important activity that we really that we really believe is the incoming. So bringing the world to visit us, to visit the food valley, Parmigiano Reggiano, balsamic vinegar, all the fresh pasta, bolognese sauce, Parma M. I could do a seminar just on the food. The motor valley, you know, we had the Formula One just two days ago in Emilia Romagna, Ferrari, Lamborghini, Maserati, Ducati. We are an unbelievable region. We are one of the most dynamic regions in Italy. It's wonderful. This is another part of our uh, mission. This is what we want to continue to communicate and to do. Bringing the Emilia-Romagna to the world and bringing the world to Emilia-Romagna. Oh, I just, I just wish I could go to Modena right now. <laughs> I love the, <laughs> the cuisine of Emilia-Romagna and I love all this nice, uh, this great restaurants and this great local food and, and wines and and the market and the people and this relaxed uh, lifestyle you guys have. Uh, it's, it's relaxed in, compar in comparison to mine. <laughs> I, I assure you. Uh, well, um, yes, um, Emilia Romagna is a great place to visit for sure. And I hope more and more people will come there, not only for food, but also for wine. Well, um, let me uh, let me uh, pass a question of Jodi Hellman. She's asking you: uh, Are you planning any trips to the USA soon? If so, where and when? Oh, I was in the United States just uh, three weeks ago, and I visited Chicago, then uh, um, Dallas, then San Francisco, and then Los Angeles. Uh, we have another visit uh, in June, but my father is coming and we are going to visit uh, um, Oregon and uh, Colorado. And then I'm coming with uh, our importer tour. Cobrand is, uh, Co is our uh, importer. I'm coming in September and I'm visiting many cities like Chicago, New York, uh, Washington, D.C. for sure, Los Angeles, and I think another city. And coming to United States nice. many times, many times. Sounds very promising. Uh, there is uh, Christina Alteregi is raising hand. Uh, I'm going to to uh, turn on her mic. Christina, hello. Okay, she's now invited to the mic. Christina, are you going to ask your question? Okay, maybe, maybe, uh, um, okay, there's, uh, there's another, uh, there's Federico, right? Federico, would you like to ask a question? Hello? Well, may, mm, maybe something with connection. Well, let me, uh, let me then, uh, 
ask you another question. Uh, you spoke about the markets uh, that are important. Um, and do you think, uh, what do you think uh, is, is, what what is your favorite wine? Not uh, not just uh, among Medici Hermeta, but in general, what do you enjoy yourself? Uh, outside of Lambrusco, you mean? Uh, I love... Uh... Uh, I love Nebbiolo because you know I lived there for three years. I was in uh, in Bra. It is 20 minutes from Serra Lunga, 20 minutes from La Morra, 20 minutes from those places, and I lived there for three years. So uh, I met so many Barolo and Barbaresco producers. So it's a second it's a, it's a second home for me. So I love many wine areas, but for me Lange is uh, is part of my heart. Is part of my life. I live there. So. I would say Nebbiolo in general. Nebbiolo grape. Nebbiolo grape, but uh, is there some uh, commune you like uh, more? Uh, do you mean producer or uh, Nebbiolo areas? Anna, do you mean uh, producers or areas? I mean, uh, I mean, if you prefer uh, um, Alto Piemonte or maybe Barolo or Barbaresca, which style of Nebbiolo you prefer? More powerful or more flower, more, more fruity? What do you prefer? I prefer Barolo, but in not the, pow the most powerful way. So there are producers now that are working with very refreshing wines like Burlotto, uh, Fratelli Alessandria, those kind of producers that are becoming more and more famous, unfortunately. Thanks God for them. Um, that are so difficult to find now. Uh, so I would say Barolo, but not in the most powerful way. Okay, I see. I have a very common uh, taste. I like uh, Nebbiolo. Nebbiolo is my favorite uh, grape variety, actually. And I like uh, it's in. I like it in not much powerful way. I like uh, Alto Piemonte, Gemma and Gazzinara. Um So those those are probably my favorite ones. And I like Barbaresco more more than Barolo. I would say. Oh, fantastic! It's it's always nice to discuss uh, wine with wine people. <laughs> But, and to drink, um, and, and to drink as well. And to drink, true. Uh, Can you please say, uh, talk about some projects outside of Lambrusco area? Uh, what are your other wines that you that you make, not Lambrusco wine? Okay, in this moment, our winery is totally focused on Lambrusco. Um, we have also an estate uh, in uh, in the Romagna area where we make Sangiovese, and we have also a, a project in the. Um, west side of the Emilia Romagna. So we cover all the region where we make wines like Bonarda, Barbera, Gutturnio, that are uh, varieties typical of the area of Emilia Romagna. But in this moment, the winery is totally, totally focused on Lambrusco because this is the goal, because we think, we really believe that Lambrusco is one of the most contemporary wine that we can find. Why? Because the new generation of Psalms, the, the young wine lovers are searching for the drinkability, the freshness. They are searching for gastronomic wines, very refreshing. And I'm describing Lambrusco because Lambrusco has a, an unbelievable acidity. It's one of the most gastronomic and one of the most versatile wine that we can find in the world easily. It, it's hard for me to say that Lambrusco is the most important variety in the world, but it's very easy in the same time to say that Lambrusco is one of the most drinkable, one of the most refreshing, one of the most gastronomic, one of the most versatile wine that we can find in the world. So we are totally focused on the wine. If you talk to my personal project, I have a podcast that is called Juice It Up, uh, that this week is in the top uh, 100 uh, podcast in Italy. Uh, but this is uh, 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 my personal project. Juicy, juicy what? <laughs> juicy tap, juicy, juicy tap, and, and Stevie was uh, was a guest few few episodes ago, but he's in Italian, Anna. So I don't know how is your Italian. I'm now. I'm I'm learning. I'm I'm honestly I, I'm learning Italian, and I hope next time I come back I can speak more <laughs> more uh, more with with my friends. Great. So, 
Uh, we have uh, another question from uh, Fermented Boss. That's a nickname, I guess. <laughs> uh, Alessandro, tell us the story of your DOP balsamic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so first please. of all, hi. The Fermented Boss is a friend. <laughs> absolutely. And an ambassador of Lambrusco. Bals uh, our core business, our business is wine, is Lambrusco. But then we have in the family an hobby. Uh, a hobby that I can't consider a business. is just a passion, a tradition that we have uh, from more than over uh, uh, a century. And is the traditional balsamic vinegar from Reggio Emilia DOP. Long name, but an unbelievable product. If you go to Walmart, if you go to a supermarket, you can easily find some balsamic vinegar. But those vinegars are IGP. That, it doesn't mean that they are not good. They are just very different from the traditional balsamic vinegar DOP. In the word traditional, there are 12 years of aging because the industrial um, the, um, balsamic vinegar, the, the balsamic vinegar IGP is made in a few hours. The traditional balsamic vinegar that we make in our balsamic vinegar facility at our estate um, is aged minimum at least 12 years. Then, if you come to visit us, you can taste the 20 years old balsamic vinegar, the 25 years old balsamic vinegar, the 30 years old balsamic vinegar, even older than me. And we say that we do the balsamic vinegar, the traditional balsamic vinegar, for the next generation. Because it takes so much time. It's made with the Solera method in these uh, uh, barrels with all different shapes, different votes. It's, it's an experience. And just one drop of that traditional balsamic vinegar is an explosion in your mouth. True. Uh, your aunt Alessandra said uh, that producing uh, balsamic vinegar is very difficult business because it takes so much time for the, for the, for the vinegar to be made. Uh, do you think it is possible uh, to keep the high quality and make it still profitable, make it a good uh, business project with uh, balsamic vinegar? The traditional balsamic vinegar is profitable. It's profitable for the second generation that uh, get the business. Because otherwise, if you want, now, want to start a business of traditional balsamic vinegar, please don't do that. Or you are very rich or don't do that. Why? Because we have to keep every year barrels of product for at least, I mean, at least 12 years. So the second generation, your son or your daughter, will enjoy the product that you did for 12 years. Every year you, you have to keep a, a few barrels of this traditional balsamic vinegar. And then you have to wait at least 12 years. Okay, so after 12 years, the bottle that you sell has a, an important margin because the real, the traditional balsamic vinegar, it's very expensive. It's our, it's Emilia-Romagna truffle. You know, it's Emilia-Romagna white truffle because it's very, very expensive. But uh, uh, it's profitable in the generations. And then I have to say that it's a very, very small production, Anna. So... Uh, we are not talking about a uh, uh, million or million and million of uh, small bottles. We are talking about thousands of bottles. Our annual production is 1,000 bottles, not 0.70 liter, but 100 milliliters. So it's, it's very small. And we sell, and that's why we sell uh, our balsamic just uh, at our estate. In 2018, we had more than 10,000 tourists so we dedicated our production to them and also as a gift to our, to our friends and to our customers around the world. So probably you will, you, will receive, you will receive a bottle of balsamic vinegar for free. Well, um, I must say I have a bottle of uh, your balsamic vinegar at home and it's such a pleasure. I use it uh, once in a while for seasoning my salad and uh, add just a little... Uh, <laughs> spirit of Emilia Romagna to my uh, to my dinner it's so uh, delicious oh my god it's it's unbelievable how what what a change uh, this drop makes to the to the dish to the salad or meat or vegetable whatever I put it with with um, with cheese it's also amazing it's really great product indeed so thank you 
well, wishing you good luck. So uh, we're about to to finish our session. So let me see if there are some other questions uh, for Alessandro. Yes. Hi. Hello. I'm back. Hold on one second. Yes, Stevie. Yes, that's so that's good. Congratulations. What a, a great session. I know I stepped away for a few minutes because, as you know, my middle name is multitasking. Um, I understand there was a question for me, but let's let's get a question from Federico. Ciao, Federico. Hello, everybody. My apologies for leaving the room so quickly, but uh, I'm based in the Netherlands and here uh, is dinner time. I was preparing you know, for my kids and it was a little bit of a mess here. No, so the you're also multitasking. Congratulations. Usually yeah. men cannot do that. <laughs> yes, I'm used to that. Yes, so I'm originally from Argentina, so I, I'm used to multitasking. <laughs> so have you got, hi, Federico, have you got a question for Alessandra? Yes. First, I want to congratulate him for the enthusiasm being such a young guy. It's fantastic. And I'm curious to know what the, the vineyard or the company is doing to promote in the younger generation this feeling for Lambrusco, knowing that the millennial generation and below are more inclined to stop drinking alcohol or drinking a lot less with uh, uh, beverages that are very low in alcohol. What are they doing in order to promote this history this feeling of, of Lambrusco in order to consume it, right? Great question. No, this is the topic, you know, because we could talk for hours about sustainability and everything, but if we don't communicate to the new generation what is the real Lambrusco, we have a problem, you know. So this is basically what we do in the company. We ask to ourselves what we have to do to arrive to new consumers, to explain to uh, people that you know are less than 40 uh, how to communicate uh, Lambrusco and then before I just said I think an important thing um, that Lambrusco is an extremely contemporary wine why because the, the new generation of wine lovers in, in my opinion uh, are searching for more drinkable wines more refreshing wines maybe with less alcohol too as you said um, more gastronomic, more versatile, and I think Lambrusco is the perfect uh, the, the, is the perfect concentration of all these concepts. Lambrusco is, as I said, it's very hard for me to say that Lambrusco is one of the most important uh, variety in the world, but it's very easy to say that Lambrusco is one of the most gastronomic, one of the most versatile. The alcohol level of Lambrusco is always around 10.5, 11.5. So it's, it's limited if you think other important still red wines. And it's an extremely contemporary wine. Then the first thing that my father told me when I joined to the winery as, as a new generation, so I wanted to do too many things, is that in the wine business, we have to run the marathon, not, that 100, not the 100 meters. So it takes time and it takes a lot of promotion. And this is what we are doing around the world. We are going to the market. We are going to educate people, to communicate to the new consumers, what is the real Lambrusco? Because it's true that people over 50 have a wrong idea of Lambrusco, but people under 50, they just don't know Lambrusco. They, they didn't remember that uh, sweet wines and cheap wines from the 70s because we weren't born. So this is what we are doing. Great, Alexandro. Thank you so much. But, um, but I, I have a follow-up on that, um, if I may. So, Alessandro, I mean... What are you guys doing? How are you communicating to the younger generation? That's all fine. Yes, we know the problem areas, but what are you guys doing? How are you how are you stepping up uh, your communication with the younger generation? Can you give me some like concrete examples? One easy example, uh, just uh, thinking an example from your last in Italy. You did a, a section with mixology, you know, in mm -hmm. some markets like uh, British Columbia. Uh, we selected many bartenders and we are doing cocktails with Lambrusco. We don't have any problem if a, a great bartender selects our Lambrusco to make a cocktail to mix with an unbelievable gin or to mix with an unbelievable other spirit. I think it's a great way to arrive to the new generation, to the new consumers. This is just an easy example, Stevie. Um, then locally, we are doing many events dedicated to the, to the, to the new generation. 
I just did an example. For us, uh, uh, in some countries, like British Columbia especially, in Japan we are working on this too. Uh, cocktails are a good way to arrive to the to the new consumers, you know, because usually uh, a, a young guy when go outside with uh, his friends usually order a cocktail outside of Italy, not a glass of wine. So this is an example. That's interesting because there was a guy. I don't know if you know him. His his name is also Alessandro, and he invented this thing called Barbera tonic. It was from Chinato, from not Barolo, but from Barbera, and with mixed with tonic water. And he said this was a it, it was an interesting way to um, introduce wine to the younger generation because a lot of people come to the bar because he owns a bar, he runs a bar in in Piemonte, and he said the the younger generation they just ask for you know uh uh no spritz aperol or or um campari just because they don't know what else to ask right so he said by trying this introducing barbera um he said that this became a little bit more approachable so i guess that you're kind of having the same um idea in terms of how to make the wine more approachable for the younger generation. Uh, absolutely, Stevie. And let me add that uh, uh, with a bartender of Reggio Emilia that uh, is from a cocktail bar that has been nominated Best Cocktail Bar in Italy in 2000, I don't remember, What's 19 or 18. Um, we the, did the, the, the name of the bar is Jigger. Like Jigger. the Jigger, yes. Yeah. J-I-G-G-E-R. Ah, Let's okay, visit Jigger. that place. It's very cool. Uh, it's in Reggio Emilia, my hometown. We did uh, a list of cocktails, you know, premium cocktails. We don't want to work with the industrial cocktail bars. Uh, we are not the Aperol, you know, brand. Mm-hmm. We, we are Medici Meta. We have more than 100 years. So we have to do, we have to have, uh, 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 how can I say? We, we have to choose uh, not all the bars, some bars. We selected that uh, target of bars and we did uh, a list of premium cocktails made with Lambrusco. So we give to our importers this list that they can use to their customers in their countries, and they can give some suggestion to the important bartenders of the city. You can make a Brusco spritz. You can make a um, uh, Americano with uh, Lambrusco and Emilia-Romagna Americano. We did so many different cocktails, and we are giving some ideas. But this is just an example. That's interesting. I have Tushar in the audience who's working, of course, at various um, bars, wines, restaurants in Dubai and doing some consulting. I would love to hear from him sometime as well. Listen, it's uh, I have to close up the room now because it's almost time. But Laika, did you want to tell us the next who's coming up next and when? Just yes. so that I remind me. All right, so um, it's going to be on Thursday. Um, it's going to be another Alessandro. So Erin Demara is going to interview Alessandro Gallo. He's the winemaker of Castello di Alpola um, in Rada and Rocca di Montemassi in Marema. So that's going to be at 6 p.m. the same time. Wow, you're, um, butchering, you're butchering everything they tie in. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what about um, the week after? So that's this week, right? Thursday, the day after tomorrow, 6 p.m.? Yeah, 6, 6 p.m. at the same For time. For next week, um, we're still not um, sure. So it's still an open slot. So if Tushar, you would like to have a clubhouse with us, you are really invited. I sent you a message, okay? No All pressure. Right. Okay, okay. You, you know, with the COVID and everything, there are um, we have to juggle a lot. Not jiggle juggle um a bit of nowadays but that is kind of the sign of the times okay uh alessandro anna thank you so much for joining us federica great question i think christina had a question but it was more of a reminder that i had tiramisu in the fridge that i have to take home so <laughs> that that was it i think that was the message so thank you very much ciao ragazzi and ciao, TV. i thank guess you. Um, thursday ciao. Okay, come back Ciao. Thursday, you guys, and it will be playing on Italian Wine Podcast. Ciao, ragazzi. Ciao. 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 Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People.
guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.